bless you, each of you. Uh, we're going to go directly into the word of the Lord, and we're going to continue uh, our summertime series on sound doctrine. Everybody say sound doctrine. Doctrine is, is a uh, great word, but sometimes it is uh, mistaken, perhaps, by some people. Some people would think that doctrine uh, is uh, perhaps dogma, maybe something that a church develops, uh, a church creates. Uh, but the doctrine that we hold to cannot be something that we develop or something we create. Uh, but doctrine has to be something that comes from the Word of God, from the Word of God. Uh, it can't be from the will of man. It can't be from vain tradition. It has to come from the Word of the Lord. And so the Scripture teaches us all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and that all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof for correction, for instruction uh, in righteousness. So, uh, you know, when you hear the word doctrine, if you're an apostolic Pentecostal, the first thing you might think of is one God, one God. Uh, I love it. I hear people say, I love it when they preach the doctrine. Amen. And, uh, and that is true. When you talk about one God, that is certainly a doctrine. But the word doctrine simply means teaching. It simply means teaching. And so what we want to talk about is sound teaching. And, and if we can provide sound teaching from the word of the Lord, uh, then what we will end up having is strong lives lived for the Lord uh, because the Bible provides the teaching we need, not only to make it through this life, but to make it in uh, eternal life, to make it to heaven. So we're going to talk about sound doctrine. Uh, the first week we dealt with the uh, matter of one God, the oneness of the Lord. And then uh, last week, Brother Jordan uh, delivered a wonderful message on the new birth from the account of Naaman in the scriptures. And I love that because the Old Testament, ladies and gentlemen, gives us insight into the New Testament. Uh, and you can see that God was setting the stage throughout the Old Testament for the great salvation of people in the New Testament. Tonight we're going to begin uh, the uh, we're going to begin looking at the plan of salvation as recorded in the book of Acts, the second chapter. And we're going to take the first word that comes out of Peter's mouth. When he is asked the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? The first word he states is repent. Then Peter said unto them, repent. And so in Acts chapter 2 verse 37, the question was asked. They had heard the preaching of the word. The preaching of the word had gone forth throughout the the second chapter of the book of Acts, those in the upper room who watched the apostles receive the Holy Ghost saw them receive the Holy Ghost and then the scripture says that they were asking what does this mean. They, some of them thought that they were drunk and that is a common uh, feeling when people walk into an apostolic Pentecostal service. If they're not used to it, they think one, they're crazy. Two, they're drunk. Uh, three, maybe they're just 
inquisitive and want to know what does this thing mean. And so uh, Peter stood up and preached Jesus to those who were there in the upper room. He preached Jesus. Now, the preaching of Jesus makes a difference in any circumstance. You can be going through anything. In fact, if we went around the room tonight and asked one person after another what they were going through, what they were dealing with, we would have a wide variety of responses. People saying, I'm struggling with this, I'm dealing with that, this is going wrong, that went wrong. But there would still be one solution to every one of those problems. And that is the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Peter preached Jesus, he concluded his preaching on the matter of Jesus. And the scripture says in verse 37, now when they heard this, what did they hear? They heard the preaching of Jesus Christ. And Peter concluded his message by saying, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that that same Jesus whom you have crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. And then when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? We've got sin in our lives. We're guilty of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is our fault that he's been crucified. It's our fault that he's been nailed to the cross. He was God in flesh. We know that now because of the preaching of the word of God. He was the long-awaited Messiah. We know that now because of the preaching of the word of God. We have sin in our lives. What shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, and I'm going to quote the whole scripture, but I'm only going to talk about one word. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Well, we'll go ahead and quote the next one. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Speaking of folks getting the Holy Ghost. Amen. Yesterday, Brother Fazel Colbert, Brother Dar Darren Parnell went to the prison and baptized 13 inmates in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. And three of them received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we give God praise for that. God is good. Amen. The Holy Ghost is still being poured out upon all flesh. The Holy Ghost is still being poured out upon all flesh. And so, so Peter preached this. And, and he said, now before we get into anything else, the question is, what shall we do? He said, before I get into anything else, there's one word you really got to get down deep inside of your soul. And that is this, repent. Repent. Repent, repent. This is one of the most beautiful words, one of the most powerful words that you and I can have in our vocabulary. What a gift from God that we are able to repent. Don't you know that a transgression of God's law is worthy of death? Don't you know that, that to violate the covenant of God is worthy of, of eternal death? Don't you realize that one transgression of his law and of his nature can keep a person from his glory? Do you know why we come short of the glory of God? Because all have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God. You and I do not measure up to the glory of God. You and I have no access to the power and the glory of the living God because of the sin that is in our life. And here comes Jesus into the picture and offers this beautiful word, this amazing word, and the word is simply repent. You have an ability because of the mercy of the Lord. You have an ability to turn from the things you're doing that separate you from God. Because God is good, because God is great, because God is merciful, because God is love, hallelujah, He gives us an opportunity to turn from the very things that we are doing that separate us from his eternal glory. Hallelujah. We've gotten so used to it, we take it for granted. We've sung about it so much, we can yawn while singing about it. We have become so accustomed to the message of grace and the message of mercy and the message of repentance that we just kind of go through the motions in talking about it. But the fact of the matter is, none of us deserve it. The fact of the matter is every one of us have already sinned and come short of the glory of God. And and because of that, none of us can be saved by our own power or by our own capabilities. But God, who is rich in mercy, gives us this word, repent. And the word applies to everybody, to whosoever will. No matter the sin they, in which they might be engaged. The message remains consistent across the board. Repent. Regardless of how deep a person is, is entrapped by sin. Repent. Despite how ensnared their soul. Repent. Despite how murky their circumstances. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Repent. So... So it's a beautiful gift from God. You know, when you think of an old hellfire and brimstone preacher, that may be a word that might come to this generation's mind. Repent. It sounds like such, is that interesting? It sounds like such a dogmatic word. It sounds like such an authoritative word. Repent. And it's perhaps the most gracious word to have ever existed. The fact that an all-loving God... An all-powerful God who could hold our transgressions against us for all of eternity. Instead of doing that, steps down into our circumstances and says, instead of bringing you the judgment that you're due, I'm giving you an opportunity to turn from the activity that is sure to bring the judgment upon yourself. Repent, repent, repent. One of the great preachers, in fact, Jesus called him the greatest prophet to have ever lived. He said there arose no greater prophet than John the Baptist. There was no greater prophet than John the Baptist. You know an interesting little tidbit about John the Baptist? If you're ever on Jeopardy and they have a John the Baptist category, I'm going to give you a little something might help you out. You might win $500 from this Bible study. I don't think they'll have that category, but... But here's just an interesting little tidbit about John the Baptist. He did no miracles. No miracles. 
John the Baptist performed no miracles, and he was the greatest prophet that ever lived. He never called down fire from heaven, but there arose no greater prophet than John the Baptist. He never parted the Red Sea like Moses, but there arose no greater prophet than John the Baptist. He never, he never drove out the Midianites with just 300 men, thousands of Midianite soldiers with just 300 men, but there, like Gideon, but there was no greater prophet than John the Baptist. He never, he never performed the miracles of Elisha, Elijah, Joshua. He never destroyed a lion or a bear or a giant like David. But John the Baptist was greater than all of the prophets. And the reason was because he prepared the way of the Lord. He was the forerunner to Jesus Christ. The greatest miracle, ladies and gentlemen, and this remains the greatest miracle of all, the miracle of salvation. Don't ever forget it. It's greater than blind eyes being opened. It's greater than deaf ears being unstopped. It's greater than, it's greater than, than an issue of blood being, being healed. It's greater than the dead being raised to live a few more years. The greatest miracle of all is the miracle of God's salvation to man. Hallelujah. The fact that God could reach down into the muck and the mire of our depravity and pull us out of our situation and cleanse us and sanctify us and justify us and prepare us hallelujah for the master's use that is the great miracle of life and we should rejoice over it and John the Baptist may not have called fire from heaven but he predicted one who would come and baptize with the Holy Ghost and fire he may not have parted the waters of the Jordan, but he stood in the waters of the Jordan. And he called people in to be baptized in water unto what? Repentance. His message was simple. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn from your wicked ways. He said that the Lord is laying the axe to the root of the tree. God is coming down into this world to bring people to account. Notice what Paul said while he was standing on Mars Hill. While he was standing on Mars Hill, he, he came to the city of Athens. And when he walked into the city of Athens, everybody's worshiping idols. It's, it's a, it's, it's a, all this idolatry is going on. Heathens, pagans. And he's looking around and, and folks, the worshiping of idols... Who knows what kind of worship rituals were going on? This could have been everything from merely bowing or burning incense to some atrocious deed done in broad daylight. And Paul is witnessing this, this horrific display of every worship ritual you can imagine going on to these ungodly idols. As he walks in, he sees the city, the Bible says, completely given to idolatry. Now, Paul didn't get his, his self-righteous dander up and go running the other way, saying, this is an ungodly place. I don't ever want to come back here again. No, that's not what he did. The Bible said his spirit was moved within him when he saw that they were given completely to idolatry. And he went directly to Mars Hill, and he began to preach Jesus. 
That's the solution to everything. He preached Jesus. He said, in him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. And he preached Jesus. One of the things that he talked about was the fact that they were seeking for God and didn't know it. He said, as a matter of fact, I passed one of your altars that had this inscription, the unknown God. He said, well, you're ignorantly worshiping the unknown God, but I will declare him unto you. And he began to preach Jesus. He said that there was a time when God would wink at this ignorance. There was a time when God would wink at the ignorance of man. Do you know how much ignorance God had to tolerate in the Old Testament? Because of the ignorance of man, because of the self-will of man, because of the unregenerated soul of man, God tolerated so much he would wink at the ignorance. God wasn't in favor of any of the polygamy that went on. God wasn't in favor of any of the maltreatment of people that went on in the Old Testament. But he was dealing with, with broken humanity, cursed humanity, sinful humanity. And so he was bringing them along and, and every once in a while he had to wink at their ignorance. Let me give you a real classic case of that, a case in point. God anointed Jehu. Everybody say Jehu. God anointed Jehu to overthrow Ahab and Jezebel because Ahab and Jezebel had, had turned Israel into an absolute, uh, uh, an absolute idol den. And there, were, there was idolatry going on all throughout Israel because of Ahab and then because of Jezebel who came from the Phoenicians. And so it was rampant. God anointed Jehu to overthrow Jezebel. And so Jehu did. And Israel was saved from their idolatry. But, but then the Bible tells us that Jehu himself worshipped the golden calves. One that was in Bethel and one that was in Dan. So even though God anointed Jehu to overthrow Jezebel, Jehu had something wrong in his own life. Jezebel's was so much worse that God had to remove her. And that that part of Jehu that was unresolved, God was going to have to deal with in a different way. But he winked at the ignorance of Jehu so that he could remove Jezebel. This is a case in point of how in the Old Testament, God often had to wink at the ignorance of man. But on top of Mars Hill, Paul declared, the times of this ignorance, God once winked at it, but no more. Now, God commanded all men everywhere to repent so you can talk all day long about how much harder God was on people in the Old Testament than he was in the New Testament and you don't understand the New Testament in the Old Testament God tolerated so much because he knew they didn't have the Holy Ghost because he knew the blood of Jesus hadn't been shed. Because he knew there had been no message on the day of Pentecost preached. Because he knew that the Spirit hadn't been poured out. So he winked at the ignorance here. And he winked at the ignorance there. And he was bringing them along here and bringing them along there. And working with all, this, all these flaws and failings. But in the New Testament he said, no, no, not now. I'm commanding all men everywhere to repent. 
Hallelujah. Because now the Holy Ghost has been poured out. Now the blood of Jesus has been shed. Now you are without excuse because there is a way, hallelujah, that is opened up for all men everywhere to enter into salvation. You know what you need to do tonight? Repent. Well, you don't know what I'm dealing with. I don't, I don't need to know exactly what you're dealing with. But I know what the solution is. Repent. It can range from anything. If, if you need God to provide for you and your family, repent. If, you, if you've received a bad report from the doctor, repent. Hallelujah. If you're afraid of the outcome of something, of how something might turn out, repent. Go to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry for anything I have done that is not like you, that is against you, any sin that I have committed, any hidden sin, anything in me that is not like you, I turn from that wicked way. Lord, expose it to me. Reveal it to me. Open my eyes and let me see the ways in me that are not like you. You know, there could be something hiding inside of your spirit, lurking inside of your spirit, preventing you from receiving what the Lord wants to give you. And so it's important to live a lifestyle of repentance. Well, what is repentance? Repentance is very simple. Now, it's, 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 I'm going to just stay with this. Repentance is turning around. Turning around. Walking in a different direction. That's what it is. So if you're walking in a particular direction that is the wrong direction, turn around and keep walking outside of those circumstances and walk toward the Lord. That's repentance. Now, I see people repent. How many have ever seen somebody repent? Have you ever seen somebody repent? If you've been around Pentecost for a little while, you, you, you can tell when somebody's really getting things right with God and it's important that we don't rush them through that because they need to have that time alone with God they need to have that time where God works surgically surgically in their spirit and on their heart and so so we know when someone's repenting how many remember when you repented the first time because hopefully it's gone on a a lot more since then. Amen. And, and, and when we repent, it can, be, it can be an emotional experience. It can involve tears. It can involve groanings. It can involve, uh, you can cry until your stomach hurts. You know, it's a great abdominal workout to really repent. You, you get done with that, you feel like you just went to some personal training or something. When, they get done, when you get done repenting and weeping before the Lord because of the intensity, the intensity of, of your understanding of how far you are from God. And, and, and so this is why you hear sometimes, sometimes you'll hear me say it, you'll hear preachers say that we need a revival in the pulpit. We need a revival in the American pulpit. Let me tell you what I mean by that when I say that. I mean we need preachers to preach the word of God so thoroughly and to preach against sin so that when people hear the preaching of the word that it convicts them of their sin. 
Now let's make sure we understand what conviction is. Conviction is a legal term. Conviction isn't making people feel guilty. Conviction is preaching something so clearly that by the time you've finished describing it, the person understands, oh, wait, I am guilty. That's conviction. And you can be preaching a lot of times the best way because you can't, you can't itemize every sin and, and, and there's so much out there that can become a sin that it's hard to itemize sin. So here's the, here's the best way to preach to people about their need for perfection. To preach on the perfection of Jesus Christ. When you exalt the purity of Jesus Christ, it, there's nothing more effective than that than to reveal to us how imperfect we are. Because in comparison to him, folks, I mean, you might, you might have a little more going for you than the person sitting next to you, or maybe not, but none of us can compare to him. None of us can compare to his glory, to his holiness. So when we exalt Jesus and then we can begin preaching against sin and dealing with sin and calling sin out and preaching against the works of the flesh to the point that all of a sudden there's an awareness within the soul of the hearer, in the mind and in the heart of the hearer that I'm guilty. There's something in me that's guilty. I'm guilty of sin. And when you feel that guilt, that's conviction. That's conviction. Not when you, not just when you feel guilty. You can feel guilty and not be guilty. That's called, that's called condemnation. You can feel guilty and not be guilty. That's shame. But when you are guilty and you recognize your guilt, that's conviction. It's, it, it's used even today in the court system. So-and-so was convicted of. That means that they were charged with and they were found guilty of. That's what the Word of God does. It's a legal document. And when the Word of God comes forth, you're being charged with this particular, you're this particular awareness that, hey, I may not be where I need to be with God. And then you're found, not that you feel, but that you're found guilty of a particular transgression or of having sin in your life, being far from God. And, and to that, there's only one solution, repent. So there might be tears, there might be, there might be wailing, there might be moaning, there might be travailing. I talked not long ago about a guy that, that wept all Sunday afternoon. I've seen folks repent. Oh my goodness, I've preached camp meetings where, where we, would, we would go eat and come back and people were still laid out in the sanctuary repenting and calling on God and, and weeping because, because they, were, they were found Guilty by the word of God. They looked in the word of God and they saw they had been going their own way. But they are found guilty by the word of God of being in violation of the law of God. And so they repented. They turned. Hallelujah. They turned. But you know, that's what repentance is. Turning. Turning. That's repentance. And so you say... So let, me just, let me just point out, somebody can cry all night long and not turn. If they don't turn, they didn't repent. They can say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, all night long. 
they don't turn, they didn't repent. Repentance is turning. Repentance is turning from your wicked ways. So, so we can apologize to God, but if we don't turn, we haven't, we haven't repented. And we can cry, but if we haven't turned, we haven't repented. Let me give you a, a case in point in the scriptures. Hebrews chapter 12. How many have ever, how many have ever been in a case where you have, uh, you have felt sorry for your sin? You don't have to raise your hand to this. I want you just to think about it. You have felt sorry for your sin, but you weren't willing to turn from your sin. And when you're in a case like that, you'd really better get right with God because it doesn't matter how sorry you are for the sin. It matters whether you turn from it or not. That's repentance. So you can repent without shedding a tear. But you can shed tears without repenting. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or a profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, notice this, though he sought it carefully with tears. You know that's a terrifying scripture? He sought it carefully with tears. That means he was in the altar every Sunday night crying and crying and crying, crying and crying. Every Wednesday night, crying and crying and crying. Every Sunday morning, crying and crying and crying. Oh God, I'm looking for a place to repent. And here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Repentance, repentance isn't so much about a place as it is a decision to turn away from and walk away from. And so that's what repentance is. And you can't get mixed up in thinking that you've repented just because you feel badly about something. Now, feeling badly about something can help. Understanding the guilt that you have in your life, it can help you with your sin condition. Let me explain to you why. Verse number 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 9. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and he's telling them, look, I wrote to you an epistle. That first epistle that I wrote to you was pretty rough. And he said, and I, I made you sorry. In the epistle, you, you felt bad after I got done writing some things to you. Because 1 Corinthians, folks, is brutal. The apostle Paul is, he is taking them, uh, taking them to task in 1 Corinthians, he's dealing with issues. One chapter after another, he's dealing with issues. The church at Corinth was completely out of order, out of control. They were operating in gifts, but the gifts were operating out of control and out of order. And they weren't, they weren't conducive to edifying the body of Christ. 
and, and sin was being ignored and sin was even being celebrated in the church. And the Apostle Paul came in there with, with the sword of the Spirit just running through there like a madman, taking care of business. And so he writes this second epistle and he's kind of trying to ease their wounds a little bit. And he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he said in verse 8, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. So he's not repenting. He's not turning back on what he did in that first epistle. Though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. He's saying, that first epistle I wrote to you was pretty rough. I get that. I acknowledge I was a little rough in that first epistle, but I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna backtrack. Even though I wanted to, I'm not going to backtrack because it made you feel sorry, even if it were for a season. Verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow turned into repentance. I'm glad. I didn't like it, Paul said. I didn't like it when you thought my epistle was too, too rigid, too straight, too in your face, too hardcore. I didn't like that. You were made sorry. You, you, were, you were made sorry. But I'll tell you what I am glad about. I'm glad that your sorrow turned into repentance. I'm glad that you wept until you stopped doing what you were doing. I'm glad that you cried tears until you, you, you stopped the direction you were going. You turned around and walked in the right path. He said, now I rejoice. Before, I was feeling bad. But now, I rejoice because it worked. You were going the wrong direction. I wrote that, that rough letter, but, but now I'm glad I did it. Because you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner. See, the sorrow of this world is different than the sorrow of God. See, godly sorrow will make you feel bad for doing bad things. Not make you feel like, like, uh, like you're worth nothing. But it will make you feel the way God feels about your sin. You'll feel his sorrow. Because when God looks upon us, folks, folks, listen. You've got to understand who he made us to be. He made us to be like Christ. So when he sees us acting out, acting up, acting the fool, acting like a sinner, acting like, like we never heard of Jesus, like we don't know anything about God, it makes him sorrowful. You do know God has emotions. He got angry. He has compassion. He, 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 he wept at Lazarus' tomb. He has emotions. And he even feels sorrow. And what makes him feel sorrow is our sin. So when you feel sorry for your sin, you're not just feeling regular old sorrow. You're feeling God's sorrow. And that will weigh on you until you stop doing what you're doing. You know what I'm talking about. You don't have to raise your hand to this, but, but, but you know what I'm talking about. 
Anybody ever been there when, when you, you knew you needed to stop, knew you needed to stop, but you were insistent, you were persistent, you were stubborn, you were going to do it your way or the highway, and, 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 and one sermon after another, and one song after another, and one, one counseling session, and one confession with a good saying of God to another after another, it, it finally got to a point where you couldn't take it anymore, and something weighed on you so heavily that you stopped, turned around, and walked in the direction of God. That was godly sorrow. And it was on you. It was heavy on you. And it was working repentance in you. And I'm going to tell you something. God is a lot more interested in taking you to heaven than he is whether or not he hurts your feelings. He's a lot more interested. He, 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 he didn't care if I'm upset at him. If I'm going to hell. If I'm, if I'm walking to the edge of the cliff, God will come smack me back. And I might get mad at him because I didn't like the way the smack felt. But he didn't care if I didn't like the way the smack felt. I'm thankful for, I'm thankful that, that, that as you live for the Lord, God can soften your spirit and let you be open to him chastising you, amen, as his own son. So he said, for godly sorrow, worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, not to be turned away from, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So the sorrow of the world worketh death. You know, you can have the sorrow of the world. Feel like you're missing out. That's what the devil likes to do. He likes to tempt saints of God, make you feel like you're missing out. Likes to make you feel like there's all this stuff you can't do because you're a child of God. Everybody else gets to do it. Everybody in the commercials gets to do it. Everybody on the billboard's doing it. Everybody, 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 except you. That's the sorrow of this world. And you know what it's working inside of you? Death. It's, it's actually positioning you to encounter the death angel, a demon called death. It's actually leading you down this path and leading a demon called death down this path and bringing you right up to one another. That's what the sorrow of this world does. When you begin to feel like you're missing out, begin to feel like, like you should hold a grudge or have bitterness or resentment in your heart or be unforgiving. That's the sorrow of this world. But here comes the sorrow of God, godly sorrow. And, the, and godly sorrow begins to move on you. And godly sorrow says to you, hey, there's something in your spirit that needs to be dealt with. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Hallelujah. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Hallelujah. I will give you rest. Oh, hallelujah. And, and, so, and so, so, yeah, it's hard sometimes for people to sit through a whole service. Sometimes when the preaching gets to a certain point and, you, and you're just hitting that, that, that part of their spirit that needs addressing and they're and their will isn't quite there, sometimes they'll just say, I've got to get out of here. And then you say, well, come back. No, I don't think I'll come back anytime soon. If they have a hungry heart, then they'll, they'll seek after God, and they'll let that godly sorrow begin to work on them. 
And, and it's a beautiful godly sorrow. It works repentance in us. So, so godly sorrow is working repentance. So the demon called death is coming this way, whereas godly sorrow is taking you down a completely different path. He's moving you in a direction that is so far from the angel of death and taking you into a path that leads to life everlasting. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I would much rather a sermon be preached that, that got down on the inside of my soul and revealed to me where I'm off base than I would to have something just come in and hype me up and make me feel better about myself. When myself needs to be crucified with Christ. And we talk about that word, that term, crucified with Christ, crucified with Christ. What do we mean by that? Repentance is how you become crucified with Christ. Because it doesn't just say crucified with Christ. That kind of, that, 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 that sometimes we say that and, and we kind of chalk it up to uh, metaphor or allegory, analogy. It's kind of a, a figure of speech, so to speak. You know, crucified with Christ. Oh, yeah, I get what they mean by that. They mean it'll kind of be like you died with him, your old man. It's kind of, kind of ish. No, no, no ish. Crucified with Christ. Dead with him. Hallelujah. And you know, the Bible, notice what the Bible says. Not only does it say crucified with Christ, but it said crucified with Christ the flesh is crucified with the affections and with the lusts my flesh can be crucified all of its affection can be crucified all of its lusts can be crucified with Christ repentance is the way that happens because when, when you first have a chance to repent, you're right in the middle of the, your swirling affections and lusts. They're all around you. And, and, and some of them are already taking their toll on you. Because the affections and lusts of this world have a semblance of pleasure that lasts for a season. Okay? It, it, it kind of happens like this. It, it takes you from where you are and gives you a, a high and, and it lets you glide on that high for a little while. But it's unsustainable. And so there's getting ready. It's like a roller coaster. It, you're getting ready to come to a hill you don't want any part of. And you go down that hill. Next thing you know, you're going upside down. Then you're going into a corkscrew. Then you're hitting water. The bad thing about this roller coaster is... It doesn't come to a safe stop at the end. It's real life. And it's real eternity. And so it's up and it's down. And it's up and it's down. And the quality of life tanks. And the, and the friendships, they tank. And the relationships, they go by the wayside. And, and your mind begins to suffer and, and then you've made bad decisions, and then you've hurt people, and they've hurt you, and now you're running in a wrong crowd, and it's like the blind leading the blind, everybody trying to devise their own way, and what you're involved in, you're involved in 
this world of sin, the affections and the lusts. And then here comes the word of God to your aid. Here comes the message of John the Baptist to your aid. Here comes the gospel of Jesus Christ to your aid. Repent, repent, turn, turn, come, come unto Jesus. Come unto Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. He has the power. There was somebody just shared with me a, a funny story. They were having a street meeting, and there was a, a sign. Uh, somebody just shared this with me. They took a sign out in the street meeting that said, uh, said, find Jesus. And they named the address of the church. They said, come see Jesus at this address of this church. They were holding up signs. Come meet Jesus. Come meet Jesus. And then they had it all set up for when people got there, they were going to be declaring the gospel. And they had that scripture up in the foyer when people walked in and said, He is not here. He is risen. <laughs> Come see Jesus at such and such place. He's not here. He is risen. But he's not in the borrowed tomb that people think he may be in. He is risen from the dead. And he is Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. And so, and so when an individual turns from their wicked ways, when they turn from their affections and their lusts and from their sins, and sometimes I can feel it when I'm preaching and I'm at an altar call and I can hear, I can tell people, I want you to give everything to God right now and turn from your sins and turn from your wicked ways and turn from your evil behavior. Turn from it. Come on, give it all to God. Repent of it. And for, ask Him for His forgiveness and walk away from it. And I can feel it. It's palpable. I can feel their spirit thinking, I've done this before. And it didn't work. It didn't work. And to that I say, do it again. And believe that God will give you power to walk with Him and to live for Him and to serve Him all the days of your life. And listen, when you repent and you start walking in the direction of God, there's no guarantee that you will never stumble again. As a matter of fact, you will have a time of stumbling again in your life. The scripture says... Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, not if, but when I fall, I shall arise. David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple all the days of my life. All the days. That means every single day. I'm going to deliberately live for the Lord today. Every single day I'm going to deliberately live for the Lord. What you do tonight, what you do on Sunday, that doesn't guarantee the rest of your life. Every single day you've got to rise up and bless His name. Call upon His power. Ask for Him to cover you. Hallelujah. Have a relationship with Him. Walk with Him in the fullness of His power. Deliberately choose not to sin. Deliberately choose not to walk in the ways of the wicked. Deliberately choose not to go down the path of the unrighteous, but to live for the Lord and to walk with the Lord and to serve the Lord all the days of your life. You know what days I'm talking about? I'm talking about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. For the rest of your life, 
walk with the Lord. Don't take a day off from walking with the Lord. Don't take a vacation from walking with God. And when you go on vacation, make sure you're still walking with God. Amen. Make sure that every day you are who He wants you to be. Live for Him. Serve Him. Choose, hallelujah, choose this day to serve the Lord. Hallelujah. And so repentance becomes the beautiful, the beautiful part of your life that God intends for it to be. And you can live with the fruit of repentance in your life. I'm thankful that I have had people in my life who have given to me the fruit of their repentance. What is the fruit of their repentance? Peace, joy, faith, love. It's fruit I want to give to my children. Hallelujah. Children, I can give something to you because I walked away from the things that bound me. I walked away from the things that were going to take me into, into eternal damnation. I walked away from those things, and I have something to give you now as a result. Peace of mind. Peace in our home. Hallelujah. A spirit that is dedicated to God. I can give that as a gift to my children and to my, well, prophetically speaking, to my grandchildren. Amen. You know, if my children do what I do, did, I'll be a grandpa before long. Dear Lord, y'all pray for me. Lord have mercy. Just a few years down the road, people be calling me Grandpa Urshan, and that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't even know what I'll do. I don't know what I'll do about that. My dad was 44 when he became a grandfather, and he loved it, loved it, loved it. But before the baby was born, he, he wasn't too excited. He said, 44 is entirely too young to be a grandfather. He said, what am I doing? I'm in the prime of life. There I am, a grandfather. So he said, I can't be called you know, Pappy or, or Gramps. You know, I can't be called this. So he said, what kind of name? And he came up with the name. He said, he shall call me Great Father. And it didn't work out like that. He, he ended up Pawpaw, just, just, just Pawpaw. Amen. But what a, what a legacy to hand to your, to your descendants, to your children, to your grandchildren. And not just natural, but spiritual. And the people that you influence right here in this congregation. What a legacy to be able to hand to somebody that I turned from my wicked ways. And I followed. I believed the gospel. I bought in. I bought the truth and I sold it not. I believed every word and I, and I walked. Hallelujah. I walked the path of the righteous. And I give this gift to you. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet right now and lift up holy hands unto the Lord and thank Him for His goodness. Hallelujah. You know what I want us to do? I want us to thank God right now that He even gives us the opportunity to repent from our sins. Come on, let's give God praise right now that He even gives us an opportunity. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I want you to think about for just one moment. I want you to think about for just one moment. If there had been no hope after you had first failed God. If there had been no hope for you. 
what kind of a torment that would be. But that's not the way it is. He who is rich in mercy, he who is full of love, he who is so full of grace, he, hallelujah, who came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost, to give unto us life and that more abundantly, he speaks to each and every one of us even now and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You should tell the world about this. You should tell the nations you're blessed. Hallelujah. That Jesus Christ has come. Hallelujah. Tell them what the Lord has done. Hallelujah. Tell them that he brought me out of darkness. Tell them that he set my feet upon a rock to stay. Tell them that he brought me out of bondage. Tell them that he broke the chains that bound me. Tell somebody. Let somebody know. Hallelujah. When all hope was gone, here came a message of salvation. When I, my soul cried out, what shall I do? Hallelujah. Do you know, do you know that, that, that so many people don't even realize that they're in sin so many people don't even realize that they're in sin and you can go beat them over the head and, and they'll never get it they'll never understand it you, you'll, be, you'll be just written off as judgmental and condemning so don't even, don't even try that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God break that down real quick before we leave tonight faith is what it takes to experience the grace of God and faith comes by hearing God and where does that hearing God come from it comes from the word of God from hearing it preached hearing it taught reading it for yourself studying it for yourself getting down deep into it being devoted studying this holy bread from heaven and he'll feed your soul hallelujah 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 I wonder if each one of us right now can just lift up our hands and say God if there's anything in me that you want to take out of me Lord I surrender it to you now God I surrender my my stubbornness I surrender rebellion I surrender unforgiveness I surrender bitterness in Jesus name I surrender hallelujah I surrender iniquity unto you Lord in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, don't just be sorry for it. Let's make a decision right now. I'm turning away from it. I'm turning away from it. I'm, I'm turning around from it. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Come on, that's it all across this building right now. Let's just do it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord God. Lord God, I give unto you my heart and my soul, Lord. I give unto you my heart and my soul, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, I am so blessed, my, my soul has found rest, oh.